is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Talking of Love Derby, I had an email on Friday from a social worker uh, from the city council uh, with a particular need for a family that she's supporting and uh, she said in her email to me, uh, my manager said that I should come to you as the church because you could probably help with this. I thought, isn't that good that they're going, oh, we're not sure, so I know, let's ask the church. That's the, that's the story of what we're starting to do with Love Derby. Will it be a blessing to our city? And whether we, we answer this particular need on a Love Derby Sunday or another opportunity is neither here nor there. I was just thrilled that somebody was suggesting that we're not quite sure how we can meet this need. I suggest you ask the church. That was a fantastic email to have. So I'm replying straight away going, we can sort that. You know, we can do that. And uh, we'll, I'm sure, make it happen. But it, 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 isn't that the reputation we want? Yeah. Not about us as a, as a jubilee, just the, the church. Mm. The, the council goes, I'm not sure what we can do about this. I know, let's ask the church. Mm. Increasing that is, that is what we'll be praying for and asking God for in our city. That, yeah, we would be a, we would be a real blessing and that we would be known as a the people that love to bless and serve and love and care and um, show the love of God. Amen? Amen. 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 Well, I'm not going to preach on that, but I could have done. Um, what I want to do this morning is continue our Back in the Room series. So um, what I want to do this morning uh, is to continue that, and we're looking at, as you know, subjects and things that are important to us as a church, particularly as we start to, as we've begun to sort of regather again and then regroup and uh, look at some things that God has been speaking to us about. And if you're new to Jubilee, uh, you may not have heard me talk about this before. If you've been around a while, you might go, oh yeah, I've heard you talk about that before, but listen, don't switch off. Because I believe God wants to do something really quite major in our hearts this morning. I'm expecting that God wants to meet us and to change us and to encounter us. Isn't that what you want? Well, I guess that's why you're here. I mean, let, let's be honest. You're not here to listen to me. You're not even here to listen to the bands. We're here to encounter him. We're here to meet with him. And yeah, I know you can do that anywhere. Okay, I know, I know that. Well, there is a dynamic and something happens when the church gathers. Do not give up meeting together, the writer to the Hebrews says. Why? Because something happens when you do. God comes in a, in a dynamic and a powerful way when we together meet as the church. And so I want to look at something this morning that is foundational to our life as followers of Jesus. I guess in a charismatic church, you can almost take these things sometimes for granted. And that is specifically why I want to spend some time looking at it this morning so that we don't just make assumptions. Because I believe that for all of us this morning, God wants to encounter us afresh and meet us anew. 
So we're going to look at the subject of baptism in the Holy Spirit. You might have heard it talked about as filling with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to use those words interchangeably. I don't mind when you call it baptism in the Spirit or filling with the Spirit. The issue is, has God encountered you with his Holy Spirit? Whether you put the label of baptism on or filling on, I'm really not bothered. What I'm asking is, has God met with you in power? And do you know the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life? Let's pray, and then we'll uh, look at some scripture together. Father, we want to thank you, God, for that you've been speaking to us already this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you've reminded us of truths of scripture. Thank you that we can come into your presence confidently. Because we know that you have forgiven us. You've paid the price. You've made it possible. We're not coming pleading for mercy because we know that you have given mercy through the death and resurrection of your son. We can come confidently to you. And this morning, in a while, Lord, we're going to come confidently and ask that you pour out your Holy Spirit again. But we pray right now as we open up scripture that you would be our teacher, that you would help us to understand what we read and that you would apply it to our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So why is baptism in the Spirit important? Why are we spending a morning talking about it in this series? Well, it's important because it's the foundation of God moving powerfully in your life. And if it's not something that you've experienced in your life as a Christian then this morning I want to tell you that God has got more for you. And that he wants you to experience power and life in the Holy Spirit. It's the foundation of what God wants to do in your life. It's the foundation of what God wants to do in our life together as a church. Because whilst we can talk about loving and serving and blessing the city as we have been, and it is important to do so, it's not just in our own strength but rather in the strength and power that God provides. If we just try to do things on our own, we get weary and worn out. Anyone know that? But as God comes to us and fills us with his power, fills us with the Spirit, then he enables us to do all sorts of things for him and his glory. It's important that we understand this is for every Christian. So it's not about how long you've been a Christian. It's not about have you served, I don't know, like an apprenticeship and, you know, you've been walking with God for a while now. So, you know, you, you've ticked some boxes in heaven. So now God's going to pour the Spirit out. No. This is for you no matter how long you've been a Christian, whether we're talking five minutes or 50 years or somewhere in between or more. Friends, if you, if you know and love the Lord Jesus this morning, this is for you. And if you don't yet know him this morning, this is still for you. This is still for you. Baptism or in or filling with the Holy Spirit is what gives you power to live as a Christian. Jesus said in Acts 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We talked about promises earlier, didn't we? This is a promise of Jesus. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power. Turn to the person next to you and say, power. 
This, dear friends, is power for life. Power to witness. Power to bring God glory through who you are and what you do. It's not about Holy Spirit goosebumps in a meeting. Now, I love Holy Spirit goosebumps in a meeting. You know, I love to be encountering God and worshipping Him and just that sense of the Spirit's presence. I love that. Oh, even Siri. <laughs> Siri doesn't understand. <laughs> but you do. Okay? You receive power. And it's power with a purpose. Power, really has power to witness. Power to be all that Jesus wants you to be. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. You know, too many Christians try to live a life following Jesus without the power of the Spirit. I often encounter that. I know that was true in my own life. You know, I, I, I became a Christian at quite a young age. I was baptised in my mid-teens. I wasn't filled with the Spirit, baptised in the Spirit, until, I don't know, 22. Just a few years ago. Um, I, I, so I know what it's like. I lived for years as a Christian without having experienced the power and the filling of the Holy Spirit in my life. You know, the idea is that you're filled with the Spirit right as soon as you become a Christian. But you don't have to wait. But for most people, it's a subsequent event. Now, it's really important to say here that, you know, you're not going to be able to respond to Jesus without the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Okay, let's, let's lay that out to start with. You cannot become a Christian, to use that phrase that we use, without God regenerating your soul. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so as soon as you put your trust in Jesus, in fact, everything that leads you to do that is the work of the Spirit. So I'm not discounting that, but that isn't it. There is more. Yes, the Holy Spirit leads you to Jesus. He is the one that enables you to respond to God's invitation to put your trust in him. That is all the work of the Spirit. What we're talking about this morning is more than that. It's power to live. Power for ongoing life in Jesus. Not just that initial work of salvation, but dynamic power of life. And if you think it's strange that I'm separating the things out, well actually that's what we find in Scripture. So in Scripture you find numerous examples of the, the early church leaders going to believe and saying, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Oh, I'm not sure if we've heard of the Holy Spirit. And they pray and God comes once again and fills them, baptizes them with the Holy Spirit. So who is he? Who is the Holy Spirit? The third person of the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. You read about the Holy Spirit right throughout Scripture. We don't have time this morning to look at every verse. We'd be here until mid-afternoon at the earliest. Don't worry. But the Holy Spirit was involved right at the beginning of time, right in creation, bringing life. Right throughout the history of God's people, you see the Holy Spirit at work. He is God, equal with God the Father 
and Jesus the Son. Genesis 1 verse 2 says, The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So right at the very beginning, beginning of Genesis, you've got the Holy Spirit at work. Throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit comes to particular people at particular times for particular purposes. So again, numerous examples of people that received strength by the Holy Spirit or wisdom or or other things that enabled them to respond in a certain way. That was the Holy Spirit coming to particular people for particular times, particular purposes. But the Spirit was not poured out on all of God's people at that time. However, the Old Testament did look forward to a different time. So Joel, for example, in Joel chapter 2, this is what he prophesies. I will pour out my spirit on all people. So there's a change here. Not just certain people at certain times. No, no, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Those days were something that the Old Testament prophets were looking forward to. For us, we are now living in those days. So what does the New Testament say? Well, John the Baptist, again, promised the Holy Spirit. He said this in Mark chapter 1, verse 8, I baptise you with water, but he, talking about Jesus, will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. So scripture uses this word baptism to describe the encounter with, the uh, filling with the Holy Spirit. Jesus as well promised the the coming of the Spirit in John chapter 7, for example. I'm sure many of you are familiar with these verses. John 7, verse 37. Jesus says this. On the last and greatest day of the festival, or the feast, some translations have it, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Again, Jesus is looking forward still to another time when the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out. Now, time and again, you find in Scripture this picture of, of, of running water, of streams, living water, being a, being a picture of the work and person of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is saying here. Streams of rivers of living water, streams of living water will flow from within them. It's the work of the Spirit flowing through people's lives. In numerous occasions, Jesus talks about the coming of the Spirit. And then we've, we've read already this verse in the beginning of Acts, but let's just read around it. Again, Acts chapter 1. You've got a Bible with you. Just turn to Acts 1 quickly. 
Acts 1, verse 4. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Lord Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. We've got a record here of the last earthly words of Jesus. What are they? They're promising one who is to come. Promising the Holy Spirit. And so important is it for the disciples that Jesus tells them to wait. To not to try to do things on their own, in their own strength, and with their own initiative, but rather to wait for the gift the Father had promised, the Holy Spirit. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised, as the word again, with the Holy Spirit. I find it fascinating that the Bible uses the same word to describe being baptised in water and baptised in the Holy Spirit. When somebody is baptised in water, they're totally immersed. It's the, the, the Greek word was an everyday word used to describe things like the sinking of ships. So you would know it had happened. There wasn't any doubt about it. For those of you who have been baptised in water, when you went completely under, you knew it had happened. It wasn't a, well, I think I might have been baptised, not really sure. No, no, you knew. You came out dripping wet. You knew something had happened. You had been baptised in water. Same word. You'll be baptised in the Holy Spirit. Think, gosh, that's interesting, isn't it? So powerful is the word described being baptised in water. It's the same word that the scripture uses. Jesus uses himself here to describe filling with the Holy Spirit. When it happens, you will know. There will be some evidence. We'll come to that shortly. When you're baptised in water, you know, don't you? You're wet. You're dripping wet. You need a towel. You need, yes, something has happened. I've been covered, totally immersed in this water. Same words, talking about the Holy Spirit. So that's Acts 1. Acts 2 says this. When the day of Pentecost came, verse 1, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Wonderful. So how does it happen? How do you receive? Is it automatic at conversion? Does it, does it happen almost without you, without you realising it somehow? Well, some people, as I alluded to earlier, are saved and filled with the Spirit at the same time. That does happen. But for many, it is a subsequent experience of encountering God in the Holy Spirit. 
For example, uh, Paul comes to, uh, to those in Ephesus, for example, and Samaria. They encounter the Holy Spirit later, often, not always, but often with a laying on of hands and prayer. Like we said, just to underline it, you cannot be saved without the work of the Holy Spirit. That's not the same as baptism in the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples to wait. Wait until they'd received the power that God was going to give them. So my question, friends, for you this morning, for all of us, me included, is do we know the, that power of God at work in our lives? We'll come back to that question. But for many of us, I guess we could say, oh yeah, I remember when I was baptised in the Spirit. Maybe you can think of a particular occurrence when that happened for the first time for you. Maybe you can remember the meeting you were at, perhaps. I remember the meeting I was at. Like I said, I was 22. And by this point, I was hungry and thirsty for the power of God at work in my life. I knew that other Christians had something that I did not yet have. And I was very thirsty for it. I wonder, are you thirsty this morning? I want to encourage you. We're going to pray before the morning's out. And if you want to receive either more of the Holy Spirit or for the first time be baptised in the Spirit, I would love to pray for you today. I want to encourage you to come with faith. Just as James was encouraging us earlier to come to God's presence confidently, as Scripture teaches us, because of what Jesus has done, we can come confidently to God and ask him for the Holy Spirit. We don't have to twist his arm, try and persuade him. No, this is a promise. What we do need to do is come confidently with faith. Come and drink. Remember that baptism of the Spirit, filling with the Holy Spirit, is not your idea, it is God's. All you're doing is saying, Lord, you know that what you've mentioned in your word, that which you've promised, please can I receive. Coming with faith and confidence. Drinking of the Spirit. So what does it mean in practice? Well, it does mean to come expectant. I've known people over the years that have, have come for prayer and, and said things like, well, you know, if God wants to encounter me, then I guess he can. You sort of stand there nonchalantly like this, and well, go on, Lord. Now, let's be clear. God is God, and he could. But generally speaking, he invites you to come with faith and confidence, saying, God, I want more of you in my life. That which I read about in your word, I want that. I want to know more of you. I want your power at work. I want to be able to be, be obedient to all you call me to do. I want to be your witnesses in every place. You come confidently and ask God like that, he's more likely to answer your prayer. And if you just stand there going, well, go on in, Lord. Get me if you can. He could, let's be honest. But generally speaking, he invites you to come with confidence and faith. Don't have to beg, just come with confidence. And like I said, it often happens through the laying on of hands in my prayer. Not always, but very often. So how do you know? Well, listen, there will be some evidence, okay? 
Now, individual experiences vary, and that's okay because you, all of us are individuals. We are all different. So our experience of God is different as well. But listen, can you honestly imagine encountering the God of heaven and nothing happening? Really? I mean, you think if you are going to encounter the power of the living God, you would expect something to happen, wouldn't you? And that's what you see in Scripture. You see some evidence. Often, that evidence is speaking in tongues. We'll come to that in a moment. But not always. It might be something else, like prophecy, for example. You suddenly start to prophesy, like the believers in Acts 19. It might be something else. There might be a new awareness that overcomes you, an awareness of God's love and mercy and grace for you. You might fall over. That's not unusual either. I mean, you know, you, God, I mean, you know, something's going to happen. So falling over and encountering him is just a, just a reaction to God's presence in your life. That's okay. What it is isn't so important as the fact that there is something. Something happens when God comes to you. There is some evidence of you encountering God and being filled or baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, often, like I said, it's the gift of tongues. It doesn't have to be. It isn't always, but it isn't, it's often an evidence of being filled with the Spirit. Now, we're going to pray before we finish today, but just for in our remaining moments, let me just look briefly about this gift of tongues and just say a few things about it. Now, it's a common gift. It's also a gateway gift to, to other gifts as well. And like we said, often when people are baptised in the Spirit, they receive the gift of tongues. Just to be really clear, in case there's any misunderstanding, if you don't have this gift, I am not saying that you're not baptised in the Spirit. Okay? What I am saying is it is a common gift. And actually, I believe if you ask God for it, typically in my experience, he loves to give it. But even if you don't have it, that doesn't mean you're not filled with the Spirit. Okay? I made that really clear. So don't be thinking, oh, what's he saying about me? Listen, I'm going to ask the question, are you filled with the Spirit? But what was the evidence? Well, this is one of the evidences, if that's a word. Evidence, evidence, evidences. What's tongues all about? It's the gift of another language for you to pray and praise God in. It comes from your spirit rather than your mind. So it's, it's not a learnt language like you maybe have studied another language at school or college. But even though it comes from your spirit rather than your mind, you still need to do the speaking bit. The clue is in the name. It's speaking in tongues. There is still the activity of speech that goes on in your voice box and comes out of your mouth. It's not that suddenly you start making some noises without realising it. There is still, you're still playing part of it. You're just speaking in a language that is unknown to you or unlearned, that's a better word, to you. You may not feel anything, but as you start to pray and praise, you find you're speaking in another language, one that God gives. It's a communication between your heart and spirit and God himself. 
I've often said that. It's, it's, it's that way. It's to God. When God speaks to us, we often call out prophecy. God revealing his heart to us, his love for us. That's him speaking to us. As we pray to him, as we praise, it's, it's God would. And the gift of tongues is a Godward language. If you run out of words, not sure how to pray or praise in your native language, be that English or something else, you can use the gift of tongues. Praying in tongues can also give you wisdom when facing difficult situations. There are, there are a number of different manifestations of this gift we'll look at very, very quickly. But it's worth saying, in, in each of these, it can either be speaking in tongues or singing in tongues. It can equally be either. Personally, I love singing in tongues. There, there's just something quite special, isn't there, about when we sing out in tongues together. It's just wonderful. That's a heavenly cacophony of worship. I love it. We're going to talk about singing or speaking in tongues. It's, it's fine, either one. So what does the Bible say? Let's just make sure we're being true to scripture here well 1 corinthians 14 helps us understand some of these things paul says this follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the spirit especially prophecy for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to god okay it's godward indeed no one understands them they are mysteries by the spirit the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, means builds themselves up. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. There's lots in there. But real quick, let's just look at a few things. The gift of tongues is Godward. And as you pray or speak out or sing in tongues, you, you edify yourself. It's like you build yourself up in the Holy Spirit. It's like spiritual exercise. And it's ideal when you don't know what to pray. When you're facing a situation, I just don't know how to pray here. Paul Yonggi Cho writes this in his book on prayer. He says, Sometimes I feel a burden of prayer, yet I may not know exactly what I should pray for, or I may not have exactly the words to express what I feel. This is the time when I enter my spiritual language, gift of tongues, and can pierce through my natural inability to articulate to God what I'm feeling. It's for private prayer and private praise. But as well as that, it's also for public prayer, public praise. 1 Corinthians 14, a little bit later, verse 27, 28, Paul says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. So rather than edifying just the um, individual or the speaker here, this edifies the hearers. The church. And in a public setting like this, it needs to be interpreted. Note, not translated, but interpreted. It's not a word-for-word -word translation. It's, the, it's an interpretation of the heart. What, what, what's this prayer? What's this praise been about? 
It might be a heavenly language or it could be an unlearned human language. I've heard amazing examples of people praying out in an unlearned language that turns out not to be a heavenly language but rather another human language and other people in the meeting have been able to speak that and go, gosh, I didn't know how you could speak whatever it might have been. I'm like, I can't. Just, just praying. And in so doing, they've revealed the heart of God and, and something of God's wonder and grace to an individual who happened to speak that language. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And often it's a heavenly language, but it can be an unlearned human one. That would be similar to what happened on the day of Pentecost, where people heard the apostles speaking in their native languages. And it's worth saying as well, the gift of tongues often unlocks other gifts. So often when someone speaks in a tongue in a meeting, suddenly other gifts are unlocked. And for those of us who host meetings, there's a challenge there because we know if someone's spoken in tongues or sung it out in tongues, we need to wait for the interpretation. But meanwhile, there's a whole queue of people going, oh, can I prophesy this or can I pray that? Well, yes, but let's just wait for the interpretation. Often it unlocks other gifts and it's wonderful in the way it does. Let's just make sure we get the interpretation as well. Then the last way I think probably to look at is that sort of public prayer or praise altogether, where we all might sing in tongues or speak out in tongues together. And there doesn't need to be an interpretation there because we're all addressing God at the same time. But we do need to explain what's happening so people understand and aren't confused by it. And I love it when that's singing in tongues together. It's an amazing sound very often, isn't it? Essentially encountering God. People often receive the gift of tongues early on when they're baptised in the Spirit, but like I said, not always. And for some people, it's difficult to start. They think, oh, it sounds like I'm making it up. Well, it probably does sound like that. But you've got to press through that bit. And as you press through, you'll find that actually more comes. You're able to be freer in praying and speaking in tongues. And like we've said, you have to do the speaking bit. If you don't know technically how that works, you can seat him afterwards and he'll explain it to you from a speech therapist's point of view. But all I know is this. It doesn't just happen without you realising it. You still have to move your mouth and do the speaking bit. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, Paul says. And I would echo the same thing. Yes, the prophesy, we can look at prophecy next week. But this morning we're talking about baptism of the Spirit and speaking in tongues. So, as we finish, let me finish by asking you a question. It's one that, that Paul asked the believers in Acts chapter 19. And I want to ask you the same question. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Friends, have you received the Holy Spirit? I'm not talking about that initial work of salvation, but the baptism filling with the Spirit. Have you received that? Paul wasn't afraid to ask, and nor should we be. Have you received the Spirit? Have you maybe received the gift of tongues? And if you're not sure, then 
maybe you think perhaps not. That's okay. Don't be embarrassed by that. Like I said, for years I was following Jesus without being filled with the Spirit. And finally at 22, I managed to get through my pride and stubbornness by God's grace. <laughs> and asked to be faithful and was filled with the Spirit. I want to encourage you, friends, if you're not sure, then ask God. For many of us, we might be looking back and going, oh yeah, I remember encountering God at a particular time or a certain meeting. That's great. But is it a daily reality for you now? Baptism in water is a one-off thing. Baptism in the Spirit is an everyday thing. Everyday thing. Paul says to the Ephesians, the more accurate translation is, go on being continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Not just once, not just back then, but continually filled with the Spirit. I want to ask you this morning, are you being continually filled? And we're going to pray in a moment. And if you want a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit today, now, then I'm going to invite you to come to the front and we're going to pray. If you would like the gift of tongues and haven't received that, again, come and we're going to pray. I believe God wants to pour out his spirit afresh today. And that may be, you may be going, you know, I, I know I was baptised in the spirit. I, I know I speak in tongues. But I'm feeling a bit dry and I want more of him. That's okay too. So whether you're coming for the first time, whether you're thinking, I just want more of God, or whether you want to speak in tongues, or whether you're freed up in more of that, I want to encourage you to come and we're going to pray. Is that okay? That seems like the only way to end a message like this. This is not just a cerebral uh, teaching about the Holy Spirit. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is meant to be encounter. And so friends, right now we are going to pray for encounter. So let's stand together. Sunday morning.